Hey, this is Howard Jacobson, and I am delighted to be joined on the phone today by Wes Youngberg, who is a... Uh, what are you? <laughs> Hi, Howard. Good, good to talk with you today. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm essentially a lifestyle medicine specialist uh, uh, with with a master's degree in nutrition. I did my doctorate of public health in preventive care and lifestyle medicine specifically, and um, uh, had a, uh, a wonderful journey over the last 25 years uh, helping people recognize um, their opportunity to not just prevent disease, but actually reverse disease using nutritional medicine principles. Okay, great. So, so I um, came across your work through uh, Brenda Davis, whom I was I was asking about her work in in Guam, I guess in in the, right. in, in the Marshall Islands, um, uh-huh. and she said, you know, you're you're the guy to talk to. Um, so can you tell, tell us before we get into uh, you know the, the full arc of your story? Tell us a little bit about what what you did in Guam, and and kind of how that uh, how that influenced the way you think about the potential of nutritional lifestyle medicine. Right. Well, uh, back in back in early 1994. Uh, I was attending a, a conference, uh, a health conference in, in, at Longland University, and one of my senior colleagues, Dr. Gerard McLean, who was uh, at the time uh, the director of the lifestyle medicine program uh, at the Guam Seventh-day Adventist Clinic, he said to me, Wes, why don't you uh, take my spot? You know, we're coming back to the States. And, uh, and I said, Guam? Where's Guam? <laughs> I had no idea where that was. And uh, and so he, he gave me some material to look at. And um, and so my wife and I talked about this. And um, we ended up flying, you know, the, the 7,000 miles from L.A. to to Guam. You know, Guam is uh, another... 3,500 miles past Hawaii. So it's essentially uh, just as far, just as, as west as Australia and Japan is. It's, it's way out west. Uh, it's so far west, it's actually in the Far East. <laughs> and uh, and uh, we, we got a chance to spend a couple weeks there and uh, fell in love with the place. It's a beautiful um, island paradise, wonderful people, but they had a severe crisis with diabetes. Uh, their their premature death rate due to diabetes was five times higher than here in the U.S. mainland. And, um, and so uh, I, I accepted the position to to uh, head up the lifestyle medicine department at this very large uh, medical center and um, decided to spend, uh, you know, six years raising a family there, and we ended up staying 14. Uh, it was a wonderful experience. And and um, during that time, I, I had the pleasure of um, meeting Brenda Davis, uh, uh, where we collaborated on the Marshall Islands uh, Reversing Diabetes Research Project. And, um, and uh, you know, we've been friends ever since and collaborating on, the, on other projects now. Uh, but I, I had the opportunity to, to see the power of, of uh, lifestyle and nutritional medicine as it impacted the lives of people who had almost died already from the complications of diabetes. Uh, these people, even at the, even at that point uh, in the in the progression of diabetes, were able to reverse diabetes, and um, uh, and so I, I felt that it was critical to share this information with uh, the world. Uh, in, in a format that was easy to understand, easy to read, and, um, and if somebody's willing to do what it takes, they can actually reverse diabetes the majority of the time. So there's, there's a lot of pages out there on what human beings should eat, what, what's a healthy diet, what's an optimal diet, and there's tons of research, and most people I know are deeply confused because there's so much right. out there and it's all contradictory. And when you read it, it all makes perfect sense. 
right? Like, there's an internal logic to just about any diet or way, lifestyle or way of eating. But you went out there and you saw an extreme population uh, with an extreme uh, level of, of a particular disease that's been linked to diet and lifestyle, and you saw huge improvements. So from that perspective, what do you know? Like what should, what should human beings be eating to be healthy? Well, I can tell you that the type of diet that uh, promotes diabetes the most rapidly is, is you know, the, the standard American diet in whatever place that gets exported to. Um, I, I basically saw a, a, a very robust uh, and historically fit people um, uh, transformed into a very sickly people because they had essentially taken this exported diet from the West into their island culture. And um, uh, this is a culture where, you know, they rarely ate meat. Yes, they, they fished, uh, they, they farmed, uh, but... Uh, but when they, when they started getting the GI rations, uh, at, uh, at World War II, just uh, post World War II, uh, and started, you know, enjoying spam and processed meats in particular, uh, and then the, the packaged foods, all the refined foods and, and so forth, that's when their metabolism essentially just blew up. It, uh, they developed all these horrible metabolic syndromes, and very quickly they went from an island of very fit, healthy individuals to very sickly individuals that uh, would not only frequently die very prematurely from uh, from diabetes, heart disease, and cancer, but also would suffer uh, for decades because of health problems. So, um, so the the diet the, the the diet that is is best at both preventing and reversing chronic disease is what I call the first class foods diet, and, and essentially first class foods are are nothing more than than the the foods that have been shown in medical science uh, and and in day to day experience to help the body turn off the genes that promote diabetes, that promote um, heart disease, that promote cancer, and epigenetically literally turn off the expression of those genes. And, and so first-class foods are essentially foods that are whole, unprocessed, plant-based. And and so and and to me that's the 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 best way to go about this. And I I don't even make a distinction between uh, as much between being a vegetarian or non-vegetarian diet. And the distinction I make is we want to make sure that what we're eating is actually good for us. And essentially that that's where we're getting foods from plants, but also where it's not been refined or processed. And, and so that's part of the confusion, uh, Howard, is that, is that sometimes, uh, a vegetarian diet is being promoted as, as as long as it's vegetarian, we're doing good, when in fact, there's a lot of unhealthy things that you can eat as a vegetarian. I mean, you know, a diet soda or a regular soda is vegetarian. You know, uh, potato chips and french fries are, are vegetarian. There's, uh, uh, you know, sugar in, in any form is vegetarian. But, um, so in other words, we need to take it, uh, to, to the level of whole, right? It, it, we, from a dietary standpoint, in this case, we need to make sure that it is whole, that it is not decompartmentalized, it's not broken down, it's not refined. Because when you refine a food that was good, now you've removed a large portion of of the healing component of that food. So that's how I would, you know, succinctly define the diet that's best for uh, for us is a diet that's whole, that's unprocessed, that's plant-based. Mm -hmm. 
So when when you started working with the people in Guam, and they, you know, let's let's start with the ones who were, uh, let's say, easy, who who wanted to listen, who were compliant, who were ready to change, you know, for whom there was no, there were fewer um, implementation and compliance issues. What did you see in terms of their health improvements, and how quickly did people? start getting better well it's interesting you know when when i first uh, uh arrived on guam in in uh, early 1994 uh one of the one of the physicians i was talking to he said he said what you're you're gonna you're gonna try to do what here on guam <laughs> and uh and so he was kind of you know you know, shaking his head and, and thinking, "Oh, this this Howley dude is is naive to think that he can actually come to Guam and and get people of Guam to change their ways." You know, he, he basically said, "This is this is entrenched culture." Uh, I remember a high school student saying to me, "Look at this! this you, what's what's so what's so bad about spam? Says, this is part of our culture." You know, this, this spam is part of our culture. I go, I go, uh, take a look at the packaging, okay, and read to me where this was manufactured. And he said, well, I never thought of looking. So they you know, turned the can around and was looking at it, and it was, it was packaged in Minnesota. I said, what does something that's packaged in Minnesota have to do with your, with your true culture? This is not part of your true culture. This is something that was imported uh, in a very artificial way. And, uh, and yeah, it's become part of the, the new culture, but that has destroyed your traditional culture. And we need to get back to the, the more traditional culture here. Uh, something, again, that's sustainable. Uh, so, um, so the, the, the improvements that, that I've seen, Howard, are, are you know, we're, we're were wonderful, you know, people who, you know, were interested in their health, uh, uh, you know, all over the world, there's people who are just eager to learn more about what they can do to optimize their health. I think that's an innate human characteristic. We, we're curious, we're interested in what we can do to improve our health, to optimize the genetic potential that we have. And, um, and so, you know, as a lifestyle medicine specialist and, and as a nutritionist, my role was to help them understand that better. And so we would do broad health testing. We'd do a lot of lab tests and um, show them what their baseline levels were. And, and you know, there's I didn't think I had a problem with my health uh, until when I was 24 years old, I discovered that I had high cholesterol. And, uh, and, uh, I'd been a lacto-oval vegetarian all my life. And it was at that point that I realized that I needed to do better than, than, than just, than, than just be, just avoid eating meats. I wanted to do, I, I wanted to do what was best. And it was the test that brought my awareness to the level that I needed to change. Mm-hmm. And so I'm a big proponent of testing widely. So that we can have baseline uh, understanding of where we're at, so we can make a change and then see if we've changed for the better. And so, I've, you know, obviously, uh, people's cholesterol levels, people's blood sugar levels, blood pressure, weight, all the biomarkers improve dramatically when somebody chooses to change their lifestyle, begin an exercise program, choose whole and processed foods. Uh, take take advantage of of resting appropriately and getting outside and uh, and in in open air and, and sunlight and and following all the principles of lifestyle medicine. Mm. Well, I have so many questions about the, you know the experience of of seeing that community shift. Um, I'm guessing the, uh, the first one is so they think that spam. Is part of their traditional culture, which speaks to me of a of a real sort of breach in cultural memory. You know, when I think about people living on an island, undisturbed, more or less, for for 
thousands of years, for, for dozens and dozens of generations. I, you know, my, my impression is sort of the elders have the wisdom. They're, they're, they're seen as, uh, you know, repositors of culture, uh, of how we do things, of appropriate technologies. And sort of in a very short period of time, it felt like there was a, like a break with that entire tradition. And I'm wondering, you know, like, what was, is that true? Was, you know, were the elders no longer heard or listened to? And did the relation, did the people's relationship with the land shift as their diets changed? Uh, yeah, you know, there's, uh, of course, there, there's a lot of issues there. And, uh, any of the islands throughout the, uh, the Western Pacific, um, have been changed forever because of World War II. Um, and, and, you know, they were exposed to the horrific events of that, of that time. And, um, uh, and, you know, that, that, that changed everything. I mean, you know, we struggle when there's a little hiccup in our lives and, and, you know, a little stress and, and we stop exercising, we stop eating right and, and, you know, and then it takes us a month before we get, you know, reorganized and, and back into our routine. But, you know, what, what, what many cultures around the world, uh, went through. You know, it was so horrific. It, 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 it changed them forever. And, uh, and then, and then not only had, were they starting over from, you know, the, the entire island was essentially bombed to smithereens, uh, and, uh, in the mid forties and, and, um, and so now everybody's starting over, you know, with the, with the post traumatic shock of, of all that had happened and transpired. And so, and so now, um, uh, you know, Big Brother in this case brings in all these GI rations and spam and, and, uh, refined products for them to eat. Of course, they're very grateful that they have something to eat. There's, you know, there's no food otherwise. Everything's been destroyed. Um, and, um, and so they just, you know, uh, it, people that are in their, People that are in their seventies uh, uh, or older now were were young at that time, and so they, you know, they gratefully accepted all this, and then it just became part of their everyday routine. And so, so even the elderly uh, are kind of see that as part of their culture now. But we still have there in the islands the statues of. You know, the traditional chiefs, Chief Kipua statue, uh, a very, you know, handsome, uh, a rugged, fit individual in a canoe. And so I would always, whenever cultural issues came up with regards to diet, I would always point to the statues of the traditional chiefs and say, do you think Chief Kipua uh, ate spam and, and was, was comfortable with this uh, calling this part of their culture. He says, we need to go back to the true traditional culture. You know, people resonated to that, our day. Um, um, so we had both, we had the, 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 uh, uh, lower class, uh, in terms of the socioeconomic status, all the way to the politicians and the governor really paying attention to this and, and participating in our programs and, and, uh, I mean, even the, the governor had, had, um, a monthly, the governor's wife <laughs> had monthly vegetarian cooking classes at, um, at their home, uh, that we, that we would put on. Uh, so it's, uh, it, the culture is willing to adapt to what is best if they're given an opportunity. If they, if they're made aware of what, uh, of what they could have. It is better for them. Hmm. Hmm. Wow. So it sounds like that uh, the the like a, the the welfare state that we put in place um, quickly quickly became kind of normal. Yeah. That, exactly. Because uh, you know it's interesting to hear these these sort of these two uh for desire forces kind of in opposition to each other. One is you know if you give somebody like really dense calories, 
they will prefer it to everything else, you know, the Snickers bars and whatever, right. you know, spam, that there's this really easy to get, you know, pleasure trap sort of foods. And on the other hand, there's this natural tendency to, to move towards better health if given the opportunity. I'm wondering how, how those, how those op- opposing forces played out in people's lives that you were working with. Yeah, yeah, it's, um, um, I, again, uh, as modern medicine, uh, became available and, and, uh, access to health information over the internet and, and, uh, cable became standard, uh, they realized that, hey, you know, we got, we got some problems here. You know, it's, it's, it's now also part of the culture to have most of your relatives over 40 seriously ill with chronic disease. You know, and, no, and anybody uh, without too much uh, research can, can see, hey, this is a huge problem, and it didn't used to be that way. And, uh, I mean, I, I had an opportunity to actually teach a, a wellness class at the University of Guam, and I, I remember I had, and I wrote about this in my book, Goodbye Diabetes, where, where this, this young man who was in his uh, early 20s was... Um, was uh, seeking to finish a college degree, and uh, and he was taking the class because it was required uh, to finish his degree. And so I actually did what was called the Pepsi Jelly Bean Challenge screening test for all the students in every class I taught, where where I would actually tell them to bring the next day to class, bring 300 calories of their favorite drink and food. Uh, and it was in this case it had to be a carbohydrate based. Uh, so you know whatever their favorite candy bars or cookies or or even if it was just white rice or or whatever, you know it's 300 calories of carbohydrates uh, and, and juice or soda, whatever they normally ate, and we would check their blood sugars an hour later, and uh, and a, a large percentage, about a, uh, over a third. Of the young people in that college class uh, had abnormally high blood sugars, and one of them came. This this gentleman came up to me and he said, "You know, uh, I'm really concerned because after I listened to your lecture, I realized that you know my blood sugar is 357, and that was you know one hour after eating what he normally ate." Mm-hmm. And uh, he said, "I had no idea." You know, uh, I have no idea that I had any problem with diabetes. It's something that my, yeah, you know, my 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 uncle had an amputation due to diabetes. My my father had a heart attack due to diabetes, and another aunt had a stroke due to diabetes. But you know, I always thought that was something that happened when people are older. I had no idea that I already had the the seeds of this germinating, not just seeds of it, but the expression of it, a full expression of it, in the system and. And so uh, I ended up uh, uh, ordering a full set of labs for him, and he was he was full blown diabetic, of course. And uh, in the course of that ten week class, he stopped smoking. He was smoking two uh, packs of cigarettes a day. He stopped smoking, stopped drinking beer, um, changed his diet, focusing on whole foods, and. Um, uh, exercised every day, and in less than ten weeks, he had reversed his diabetes. Uh-huh. Uh, and 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 you know, there's so many people like him who never have the opportunity because they never got tested. They never become aware of how serious their health w- uh, problem was right now. Mm-hmm. H- has the um, sort of economy and ecology of Guam shifted? to accommodate people's newfound consumer desires for whole plant foods? You know, is, is everything still, yeah. is everything still uh, shipped in, or is there local local? Uh, actually, uh, uh, the good news is that it is definitely shifting. Um, the, uh, there's many people who have started farming now uh, and using that as their source of income. Uh, rather than just, you know, expecting to get that government job where all they got to do is check in and check out every day. Um, uh, so, so there's, there's definitely a, 
uh, many individuals that are, are getting involved in agriculture, and, and it was it's really wonderful to see that. Uh, there's restaurants uh, uh, starting up all over Guam now that are that are whole foods, vegetarian restaurants, vegan restaurants, uh, and uh, and there um, uh, many uh, many people are going to them. I was recently in Guam in December um, for a week, where I was speaking at the hospital and and speaking to the Diabetes Association and 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 to various groups around the island. And I um, I was I was really impressed that since I've, I've been gone now for six years, uh, that the uh, new restaurants had uh, popped up that were promoting a vegan lifestyle and uh, really good too. I just really enjoyed uh, being there and enjoyed the food. So uh, I'm I'm uh, very optimistic. I think in the islands and many of the islands now, people who are looking for healthy food, people who are looking for answers can find them. Mm-hmm. So uh, what are some other, aside from the, the obvious changes in you know, biometric numbers and weight and health, what, what else changes when people shift from a highly processed, um, high animal foods diet to a whole food plant-based diet? You know, on, in the island, are there other are, are there other things that happen to them? Different outlooks, different ways of being, that accompany that sort of naturally accompany the shift in the their their fuel. You know, it's interesting. Uh, I'm um, uh, I I have a great passion for uh, the, the the a true functional lifestyle medicine or holistic approaches to to living and. Um, and I've, I've always been fascinated by the interrelationships between the choices that we make in one area and how they influence other areas. For instance, um, the British Medical Journal some a few years back published a very intriguing study of young violent offenders uh, who, who had been incarcerated because they were really impulsive and violent. And, um, and the, the, the study was a double-blinded placebo-controlled study where they gave these, these young men who were very violent that were in prison, they gave them, uh, the, the, the experimental group got a pill that was basically vitamins, minerals, and omega-3s. That's it. And after nine months, they decoded this double-blinded study and they discovered that the group who was getting the actual vitamins, minerals, and omega-3s had a 35% decrease uh, uh, in their their violent activities. Uh, And they found that this was more powerful than any other program that had been done uh, to help people deal with their aggression, their anger, and their violence. And so... Uh, so the, the implications are great. There's many other studies that support this concept that when somebody goes to a whole plant-based diet, it changes them not just physically, but, but emotionally and spiritually as well. Uh, it can give them a whole, uh, new way of perceiving the world around them, uh, with more compassion, with more insight. And an ability to to reason from cause to effect, and to to understand where people are coming from, and not immediately uh, impulsively make a judgment that that they easily get offended by. Uh, so uh, I, I definitely saw that happen. I, I had one patient in particular who he was actually a homeless man who had been a professor. And he was a linguist, and but he had he he was so upset and so mad that he he became homeless. He just checked out of life, and uh, but I got um, uh, he he was he wanted to change, but he couldn't change. So he came. He actually we invited him to join our program, and he just 
you know, amazingly just did everything that we suggested. He changed his diet. He stopped eating refined foods. He stopped eating meats. He, 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 he was focused on whole foods only. And, and um, it, it basically, he transformed from being a homeless outcast to, uh, to having his own radio show in the local language. Uh, and it was, it was just fascinating to watch. Uh, and it was because of his willingness to to change what he was taking in, and I, I believe that ch- changing your diet is a antecedent, is a a critical part of changing every aspect of your being. Hmm. Yeah, I was I was talking to my wife about this and kind of trying to exploring my own hunch that the diet is kind of one of, if not the crucial leverage point for people in, in just sort of changing their relationship with everything to become happier, to become more productive, to become a better steward of the planet. And, and I was trying to sort of figure out why I thought that. And she said, well, you know, imagine someone who runs away from home and comes back for three meals a day. <laughs> it's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The, 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 there's, there's something about, you know, when, when I when I hear you describe post-war Guam as a place that had just been utterly destroyed, there's you know no arable land, terrible suffering, and and, and everything has to be um, imported. I, right. I, I kind of think about like the American suburbs where I've grown up and spent most of my life, and you know not to right. com- not to compare them in a in a, in a sort of abject suffering and destruction sense but in terms of we've we've destroyed our farmlands our our local family farms we've 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 destroyed our topsoil and everything is being grown in you know feedlots in in giant uh, monoculture you know that 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 we want to be sort of expressive ind- individuals but you can't be if our diet represents something else that's right. Absolutely right. You know, so I'm kind of I'm kind of seeing in Guam a uh, a very clear parable for for where America, you know, is is going um, unless we unless we turn around our relationship to food. Absolutely. So when we make it easy for people to eat unhealthfully, when when we subsidize the very foods and systems that that spend millions of dollars figuring out how to make chemicals uh, taste, smell, and uh, and and look like healthy food, uh, we know that our political system. Uh, and our way of life and our future health uh, as a society is in great trouble. Right. So we need to find ways to appeal to common sense uh, and to um, to really uh, the the ethics of of uh, of food and food distribution, uh, so that uh, we are no longer subsidizing. Uh, th- these very approaches that are destroying the health and the minds, uh, the physical and mental health of our children and adults. Right. So um, you're, you continue to, uh, to do work in Guam, but you also have a clinic in California? That, that's right. I have uh, what's called a Youngberg Lifestyle Medicine Clinic in uh, Temecula, California, which is just about an hour north of San Diego, uh, right in what's called wine country. Uh, so avocado groves and vineyards in this area. And um, and so uh, you know, I, I actually do also a lot of work by phone or Skype. I, I actually have patients all over the world that I work with and and uh, I, have, I have contracts with uh, national labs where no matter where somebody lives, they can, I can order the labs for them and they can go to the, their nearest town or city where there's a lab and, and get all the, all the tests necessary so that we can see the big picture 
Uh, again, I'm a strong proponent of testing because um, it is it is through testing that we become aware of where we're at. Uh, and I'm I'm even uh, right now uh, very excited about this new whole paradigm of personalized medicine, where you can actually get uh, get your 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 genome tested with a saliva a saliva sample and. And from that, understand your unique risk factors. And, and my, so my job is to help people see how through appropriate dietary changes and lifestyle changes, they can actually bypass, uh, many of these genetic mutations. Uh, I did these tests myself and I, I have many mutations. We all do. But most of us don't think of it that way. We're, we're kind of naive and, you know, we, uh, we think that, you know, these diseases are just happenstance and we don't understand why, why did this happen to me? You know, I was trying to live healthfully, but uh, things happen for reasons and a lot of them have to do with our unique genetic predispositions to disease. So by understanding what those unique predispositions are at the genetic level, not just a biomarker level, like a cholesterol uh, or a blood sugar, but an actual genetic test, we can actually begin to to turn off those genes or to bypass those genes nutritionally uh, by uh, by applying the right strategies now. Mm-hmm. That sounds like it's extremely motivating to people to get these to get these tests, and I've I found that the testing that I've done. It's largely the, the positive effect has been to sort of wake me up, slap me around, and motivate me, as opposed to give yeah. me sort of a, a specific bit of information that will that will um, you know allow for a, a prescriptive dietary intervention. Is that what you find as well? Right. Oh, absolutely. It's um, uh, yeah. Uh, knowledge is power, and and awareness is empowering, and so. Um, it, it, so, there, you know, some people have this notion that, well, I don't want to know about this because then it's just going to be more and more medications I have to take and et cetera, or I don't want to know if I have risk for Alzheimer's because it will just stress me out and make the problem worse. But the reality, though, is by understanding your risk, you can actually dramatically change, neutralize, or in some way um, – you know, mitigate that risk of, uh, uh, substantially. And, uh, you know, what I tell you what my initial motivation of all this was, Howard, is that when I was 10 years old, my mother was diagnosed with a terminal brain cancer. And it, uh, you know, it's one of those events that just rocks your world. It just changes your life forever. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I remember the night right before her surgery where she was, you know, she was calling, uh, for my brother and I to come see her. And, uh, so we went into her hospital, uh, room and she had been crying. You know, she, she'd been told she was terminal. They were going to do surgery, but it was just temporary. And, uh, but she put on a great big smile for us because she wanted, you know, she wanted to be there for us, but she knew she wouldn't be there for us very long. Uh, and, and, and so I remember going through that experience thinking, how could this happen to my mother? Uh, so she, you know, she died, uh, you know, w- uh, within nine months, um, even though she'd only been given four to six weeks to live. But, um, it, it, it made me, it made me think. I remember saying to my dad as a 13 year old, I said, Dad, I wish I knew right now what my risks are so I could start working on it right now. Mm. And and without realizing it, that 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 statement that was made while we were just raking leaves one autumn afternoon in the Midwest, uh, that statement became the rallying cry, became my passion, and and that's why I went into the field of of nutrition and lifestyle medicine is because I recognized that that's the only way we're going to really solve this problem uh, with disease. You can't solve the problem with disease by coming up with a new medication. Um, You have to treat the cause. You have to address what all the antecedents uh, that have come together to to activate this gene or to 
ought to to take advantage of the gene mutation that we have that lead to disease. And and so so my last 25 years after my training have been dedicated to not only taking advantage of every new scientific opportunity for myself, but but to share that with my patients so that we can apply that to their personalized needs and and uh, opportunities. Uh, so that's that's where I get my motivation is because of what happened to my mother. Wow, and it's you know it sounds like from like the, the the medical conversation that we have in America by and large is you get something it's a matter of fate or luck or genetics or something and then all we can do is palliative or, or ameliorative we can give you drugs we can give you surgery we can make you feel better. And and so, give, you know, given that assumption, it's no wonder that nobody wants to know, <laughs> right? Why on yeah. earth would I want to know if there's nothing I can do about yeah. it? That's that's right. Exactly. You know, if you exactly. give me a test and you and you, and it's likely to show me something that you can't fix, that's like malpractice. That's like the worst thing you could do. And so, what, I mean, I'm I'm really curious, like what what in your 13 year old brain argued with that? Very deeply rooted cultural narrative that disease just happens and is nothing we can do about. You know, we can't reverse it. We can't say goodbye diabetes, goodbye cancer. You know that your your book title is in a sense uh, in a sense uh, an affront to the American medical system that would you know you're not allowed to say goodbye or cure. <laughs> right. so where, you know, where where did you come up with this idea that it was that you know, before even looking, before finding the scientific data, that that disease doesn't have to manifest, it doesn't have to be a life sentence, that, that you could ameliorate your risk. You know, that's a great question, Howard. I um, uh, I know that I know that my my father in particular was always interested in health, and and um, uh, he has four older brothers and sisters who are medical doctors. And, uh, you know, I have about 15 aunts, uncles, and cousins, uh, and their spouses who are, are medical doctors. And so, so, you know, there's always, there was always conversations about health. And I just, in my own mind, I just, I just, you know, believed, you know, I just, I just had this innate, I think, understanding that, you know, if you do the right thing, you can be healthy. And, um, and and so but but that was you know that was just a, a feeling that was a, that was something that was kind of inborn and so that so i wanted to i wanted to experience that scientifically in my training uh and, and it was actually early in my training howard uh in uh in 1985 uh i was uh i attended a seminar by, by Dr. James Anderson, who is, is a renowned endocrinologist, diabetes specialist at the University of Kentucky at Lexington. And, uh, you know, he, and he published hundreds and hundreds of studies on diabetes in the medical literature. And, and his presentation blew me away because back in 1985, he was talking about research projects he had personally done in the 70s that had helped been reversing diabetes. And this is in, in patients who are in the hospital laying in a bed all day long, and all they did was change their diet to a high-fiber, high, you know, uh, whole food starch-based diet. <laughs> and that's all they did. They didn't do anything else, and they were just from 90% uh, removal of, of, of insulin, uh, excuse me, 90% the discontinuation of diabetic medications, 70% discontinuation of insulin. I mean, and so that was the first vindication I had had in, in, in terms of exposure to science uh, that, that um, was congruent with what I, what I felt I already knew before. I just hadn't seen the science. And so, so, um, uh, so I knew back, back in 1985 um, that, you know, this is 12 years 
12 years after my, my initial, you know, watershed, uh, moment with my father that, that, hey, this, this is, this is going to have a powerful impact. And we have the data. And, and so, but every year the, you know, the, the consensus statements are, well, there's really no cure. There's, 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 you're going to have this for the rest of your life. All we can do is kind of manage it. And then people go, oh, really? You know, there's no cure. So, you know, uh, forget it. You know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to put any effort into trying to treat something that I'm, I can't get rid of. Right. And so, and so the whole system creates hopelessness and patience. And so my whole, uh, passion is to, is to help people recognize that there's great hope. The first step is to recognize that there's a problem. Right. You, uh, you recognize that this is serious. Like, like Norman Cousins used to say, don't deny the diagnosis, defy the verdict. So my job, my job as a as a uh, lifestyle medicine expert and nutritionist, is to help them really understand. Hey, this this is a real problem. You can't can't keep your head in the sand forever. This has been going on a long time. You know, the average diabetic has had this problem for 15 years before diagnosis. Okay, and 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 they've they've had this insulin resistance, which is the main. Uh, one of the main drivers of cancer, the main driver of heart disease, a main driver of hypertension, strokes, and autoimmune disease, on and on and on and on, uh, and they've had that for decades prior to diagnosis. And so our job is to catch this so early that we can completely resolve the problem uh, and, and do it in a way that optimizes health for as long as possible. Uh, so... Um, so that's, that's, that's what excites me is helping, giving people awareness with, which, you know, shakes them up initially, but then say, Hey, you know what? This is completely reversible. If you're willing to put the time into this, uh, and I'm here to help you accomplish that. And so, so they, they become motivated, uh, and joyful because they realize, Hey, you know, I, I've given an opportunity here to dramatically improve my health and completely reverse a situation that I had previously thought was, you know, unreversible. Mm. Well, I love the word joyful. To me, that's that's the thing that keeps people away from making these changes. They think, you know, well, if I can't eat my favorite foods, if I can't go out and party, if I can't smoke, if I can't drink, if I can't sit on the couch and watch TV, like my life would be joyless. And you know, one of one yeah, of yeah, and the, of course, of course, uh, down deep, people know that that's not true. They just they're just kind of uh, they've fallen into this trap, this spell that they can't, this quagmire that they can't get out of. And uh, and and uh, the first steps are uh, changing the fuel that you put into your body, uh, and and um, take you know developing a plan that is cognizant of what the body needs. You know, the body needs proper rest, proper hydration, uh, pro- the, the, and the proper nutrients and, and so forth. It needs, it needs to be exposed to love and forgiveness and joy. And um, all of that comes together. Each one of those supports the other one. Right. So if someone is listening to this and they want to work with you, you do, you work on Skype, you work uh, remotely, uh, where, where should they go, uh, to, to have well, a they, uh, our, my clinic's website is, uh, dryoungberg.com. That's d-r-y-o-u-n-g-b-e-r-g.com. And, um, they can get you know, all access to all our information. They can watch videos of things that we've done, and um, uh, they can purchase uh, the Goodbye Diabetes book right there on that website. And um, and 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 also make an appointment uh, to to uh, see me either in person or or by phone or 
or by Skype. Uh, so, um, so you know, uh, distance is not an impediment here. Uh, everything that I do with somebody who lives in my community, I can do the same thing for people that uh, live anywhere in the world. Uh, so, um, uh, and I even have online uh, courses that I'm teaching as well. Great. So I'm hoping that, uh, that some folks will, will hear this and realize, you know, first of all, that, that even if they're not diagnosed yet, if they're, if they're pre something, uh, to, to wake up to the problem. And number two, that there, there is every reason to believe that making joyful, empowering changes uh, give them complete control over the uh, the expression of their genes and their and their health outcomes. Absolutely, and you know, uh, uh, you know, many of us are, are very naive, as I was when I was a young man, and uh, even though I was always interested in health, and we don't realize that only the minority of our of our adult population do not have at least pre diabetes. In other words. As an adult, if you don't have, if you do not have pre-diabetes, you're in a minority. Uh, right now, uh, if you're over 40, at least one out of two individuals, uh, have pre-diabetes or worse. And that's from 40 to age 59. If you're, if you're 60 to 74, two out of three have at least pre-diabetes, and if you're over the age of 75, three out of four have at least pre-diabetes. And pre-diabetes is essentially that metabolic syndrome that dramatically impacts cancer risk, heart disease risk, stroke risk, hypertension risk, and uh, and autoimmunity risk, uh, dementia risk, uh, uh, depression risk. Uh, it goes on and on and on. And so, and so that's why everybody needs to be tested appropriately with the information uh, interpreted from the perspective of addressing the cause, not treating the symptoms. Right. Well, Dr. Wes Youngberg, thank you so much for taking the time to share your, your worldwide experiences from four, 14 years on Guam and an incredible, um, you know, telescopic lens in, or a microscopic lens into the relationship between diet and, and, and disease to your own story, uh, about your mother and your, your realization of what, what was possible and what you were meant to do and for all the work you do to, uh, to help people live healthier, happier, more empowered and more joyful lives. And thank you so much for taking the time to talk with us today. Thank you so much, Howard, for having me, and uh, I wish you great success in your work as well. Many thanks. Take care. Bye-bye.